A wise man once said, every journey begins with the first step. Come with me, my friends, as together we travel down the roadway of geekdom in our never-ending quest to find the joy and fun in what we love. However, our final destination may not be where we intended, for on this journey, tangents abound. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the seventh episode of Tangents Abound. My name is Aaron Henley, and I thank you all for joining me today. Well, for my returning listeners, I'm sure you noticed something a little different on this episode. That's right. I made a new intro, something that I've been wanting to do but just couldn't figure out how to, so I hope you enjoyed it. Now, if it needs a little tweaking, drop me a line, either in the comments or at tangentsabound at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to tweak it. And, you know, if I find a soundtrack that fits it a little bit better, I may tweak it myself, but right now I'm happy, and it's really cool. Alrighty. Also, I've got some feedback from a couple episodes that I need to go over, so I'm going to cover that, and... I'm really excited because I've got a returning uh, commenter, so it, it, it's, it means a little something special to me. So, the first uh, comments we received was uh, from a user named agirl31. Now, I have to edit her user tag because I can't say it on a family-friendly podcast. So, what agirl31 has been saying is that she's been replying to quite a few episodes and I appreciate all her thoughts, but I can't read her comments on the air without some editing. So I appreciate you listening, and and I'm glad you are. Now, friends, I still am finding my cold, but I'm pretty well over it, but I still get a little uh, stuffed up a bit, so I appreciate you understanding on that. Now, I also got some comments on my last episode, and I'm going to go over those right now, as soon as I can bring up the webpage. (laughs) Okay, the first comment was from Batman Death Grapple. And he says, Definitely becoming a great show for sure. Well, thank you, Batman Death Grapple. So I appreciate the help and feedback, and I look forward to hearing from you again. Okay, and now we got a second comment from the very first person who ever commented on my first episode, Turtle Loves. Welcome back, Turtle Bloves. Thanks, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it, my friend. And his email, or her email. So, Turtle Bloves, if um, you could let me know so I can give you your proper pronoun, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> and Turtle Bloves says, Hi, I have a nice time listening. It's very hap- I'm very happy, but it needs a lot more Star Wars again. Maybe next time. Have a good day, Aaron. Well, thank you, Turtle Bluffs, and I really appreciate you sending me a new comment. That that means a lot to me. And I want to let you know that there will be more Star Wars coming, but it's going to be a while because I have uh, the next couple months' worth of episodes planned out, and it's going to be a while before I get back to Star Wars. However, it will be worth the wait because I plan to release a special episode uh, with my thoughts after viewing uh, Rogue One in December. And it'll come out as quick as I can get it done uh, after I see it opening weekend. 
so it may not even come out on my normal Friday release schedule. It'll come out as soon as I record it and edit it. It's going to be out probably like 10 minutes after I finish the ep- the episode, so it's going to be worth it. And there is a bunch more uh, of other Star Wars stuff I want to talk about. I mean, I'm reading a great book right now that I'm going to talk about, and all I ask Turtle Loves is that you hang in there. It, it will be coming, but it's going to be a while. But while there is also something Turtle-related that is coming up after I finish the current Superman series about our favorite heroes in a half shell, so I hope Turtle loves that you listen to that too. Alrighty, now let me just open up my email bag, see if I've got any emails in there. And, well, it doesn't look like anything right now. So, if you want to leave me an email, the email address is tangentsabound at gmail.com, and I'd greatly appreciate any emails. Because I don't know if I'm doing a good job unless I get, you know, feedback and comments and emails. So, I want to hear from you, friends. I really do. Okay, so that wraps up my feedback portion of the show, and I'm so happy I actually have a feedback portion. (laughs) So, I'm going to plug a promo for my very good friend, Mr. Gene Hendricks, and his shows, The Hammer Strikes Podcast. Take a listen. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys. Star Wars. Just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by two true freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with, and be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. Well, again, friends, I highly recommend checking out Gene's podcast. He's been a great friend and supporter of the show, and the fact that he's actually emailed me a few times really means a lot to me. Okay, so... With our feedback portion completed, let's get into the issue for today. And that is Superman, Lois and Clark, Arrival, Part 6, or Secrets Confirmed. So, this issue was released on March 23, 2016, with a May 2016 cover date. And I also want to thank the Superman homepage for that information can find the Superman homepage at supermanhomepage.com. I highly recommend it, as it is, in my opinion, the definitive Superman website that is not DC.com. And personally, I'd still go to the Superman homepage over DC's official website any day of the week. They cover everything Superman-related, and I mean everything. Comics, movies, TV. From his very first appearance in 1939 in Action Comics number 1 to today. It's just... It's a great show. It's a great place to check out some Superman stuff. So our cover today was drawn by our writer, Dan Jurgens, and was colored by Hi-Fi Studios. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, 
Dan Jurgens was a comic book artist before he was a comic book writer. And the earliest I have from him is when he drew issues of Mike Grell's Green Arrow comic book in the late 80s, early 90s. And all I'll say about it is, yeah, he draws a very, very attractive Black Canary, both in costume and out, and also really out of the costume. <clears throat> yeah, there was a reason that book had a mature rating. The cover is an image of a sniper with John and Lois's faces reflected in the scope and Clark flying in from the right to stop him. It's just, it's what was kind of missing with the Batman cover from last issue because we have some dy dynamic action. We have motion. It's just, we have danger. We have thrills. I mean, this could be a movie poster or the uh, uh, opening promo for a um, 80s action show, so it, I really appreciate it. The credits for this issue are our usual ones. Writer is Dan Jurgens, penciler is Lee Weeks, inker is Scott Hanna, letterer is a larger world studios, colorist is Jeremy Cox, and that's J-E-R-O-M-Y, not Jeremy, so I apologize if I mispronounce it because I have some trouble with that word. Assistant editor is Andrew Marino, and editor is Eddie Berganza. For our first act, we opened a few months ago on the Whites, well, I mean the Kents, farm, with Lois rushing to Clark to show him the latest issue of the Daily Planet. Its headline, Superman's Secret Identity Revealed by Lois Lane? Art Lois is understandably shocked at how her doppelganger could so easily destroy New 52 Clark's life like that, and is freaked out at what it could mean for our Lois and Clark, and tangent abound. Friends, it's sometimes really hard to keep all the variants of the same people straight when they're on the same book. I hope I was clear enough to show that these are four completely separate people. So Clark says that they will push on, and the beard is permanent. And... Oh, if only that were true, my friends. Rest in peace, beloved beard. Rest in peace. Lois scolds him for joking at a time like this and says it just feels like the world is closing in on them. Cut to the present, with Clark thinking that if it wasn't true back then, it is now. Clark is hovering over the downtown San Francisco sky, and thank you! We have an exact location! I miss having an exact location! Thank you! And it appears that all the city story from the previous issues all took place in San Francisco, so thank you! Thank you, I appreciate that. Clark is waiting for 5 p.m. for Lois to call Cora's cell phone so he can zero in on it and hopefully her location. And in a great scene reminiscent of Man of Steel, we see Clark slowly tune out the world and its millions, maybe even billions of noises to a single solitary ringtone. Fixing on the signal's location, Clark streaks off into the twilight sky. Arriving at an isolated cabin, Clark easily knocks out the two thugs who are about to execute poor Cora. A bag had been placed over Cora's head, so she is unable to see her rescuer, but thanks him and tells Clark, as he begins rising into the sky, that she had no choice but had to tell Intergang who, who Author X really is. 
Also, right before Clark reached Cora, we meet up with Lois at the tail end of her phone call to Cora's phone. Hanging up, Lois receives a call from Principal Dubois that John missed the bus and needs a pickup. Apparently, he had lost all track of time focusing on a project for school. Well, when Lois arrives, she asks him if it was something for science or math, and John tries to avoid answering with a thing every kid in the world uses, but it sets every parent's antenna twitch antennae twitching, and that's the epic word, nothing. Well, it's apparently not nothing, as Principal Dubois shows Lois that he was working on a biography for extra credit. The subject? Superman. Lois is a little surprised by her son researching the new 52's biggest superhero. Oh, wait, no, that that's Batman or Green Lantern. <laughs> My bad. And thinks that it may finally be time to come clean. Leaving the school, Lois tries to draw out John and see just where she should start. Suddenly, a pair of intergang goons ambush them in the school parking lot and force them to a maintenance shed near the football field. Oh, this was a great first act, friends. In fact, this issue was so jam-packed, I had trouble breaking it down into the normal three-act structure. But I think I did my best. And also what made it a little harder was a lot of these scenes that I keep blocked together in the synopsis are actually intermingled between each other each each other so that it's all happening at the same time so this is a comic that needs to be read because it's <laughs> it's, it's a little hard to describe in, a, in an audio format so opening on the farm is a great scene and it shows what Clark does to relax he's in the barn working on the tractor and he's not doing it at super fast speed no he's just working on it like any dad would do in in the barn you know he, he's wiping his hands off with the towel getting all the grease off and it's just it's a nice little touch I, I really appreciate it and the final panel on this page of the flashback is a shot of the tr of the trunk that we saw Clark store his old costume in and it's been placed in well what do you call the basement of a barn is it a root cellar you think growing up next to a bunch of farmers, I know that, but I, I don't. <laughs> and also, trunks belonging to Kent family members that are placed in barn cellars, they're usually pretty important, so it's a nice callback, and I can guarantee that this definitely will come into play in the future. Alright, so, who did the sound isolation location trick first? Superman or Daredevil? Well, my money's on the guy with the big S on his chest. No disrespect to Daredevil, but yeah, I think you're just ripping off his uh, Superman's bit. And speaking of that scene, it's a two-page splash of Clark focusing and isolating on what he needs to do, and it's amazing. I mean, I sat down and thought about this for a minute. With his powers, he probably has to do this unconsciously all the time just to keep himself sane. You know, to be able to just listen to the person talking next to him and not, you know, <laughs> everyone talking next to him. And the fact that he can take this ability and hone it to a fine degree is, wow, it, it's what I love about comic books and superheroes, and specifically this superhero.
I mean, he makes a ninja master, and their ability to, you know, s isolate sounds look almost <laughs> like it's a, you know, screaming baby right next to you. So, it's just, wow. <laughs> Alrighty, well, I was able to find Lois's ringtone, and take a listen. Okay, well, I gotta hand it to Cora. She has great taste. I mean, we've got the Hollies. I love this song. And, you know, tangent about, I think Lois would look great in a long black dress. <laughs> and with that image, all I can say is, Clark, you are a very lucky, lucky man, sir. <laughs> okay, and when Clark takes out the two goons holding Cora, it's a, it's a great little action scene. One, he smashes into a tree, a la the uh, um, scout trooper from Return of the Jedi, when Luke throws him off the speeder bike and he crashes into the tree. So that's to give you a little idea. And also um, throws the other guy who was about to shoot Korra into a fireplace's hearth. Now, the only nitpicks I have for this scene is that the guy in his tree does his best Georgia the Jungle impression, and the guy hitting the hearth... Well, his neck is bent at a 90-degree angle against a brick wall. So, yeah, he's he's paralyzed, right? <laughs> right? Please, please don't let me think that Clark just killed two people. I, uh, I don't want to think about that. I, I don't want the BVS tagline on the cover infecting my Superman. So, please, please just let them be unconscious. This is when I want the Bureau of Standards and Practices to make these guys groan <laughs> so we know they're not dead. This is the only time I will ever approve of a B Bureau of Standards and Practices forced edit. <laughs> okay. Whoops. There went my tea. Okay. So the first time we see John, I am now definitely certain that Lee Winks designed him off a younger Tom Welling. I mean, the first panel we see him in, the close-up on his face, hunched over a monitor, and... Well, you better get used to that, kid, because we know who your parents are and probably what you're going to become. And it just screams Tom Welling from the first couple seasons of Smallville. I mean, it's almost photo-referenced quality. It's that good. So, yeah, I, I kind of like Tom Welling as a 10-year-old kid being John Kent. So, I'm happy. And when Lois sees what John is working on, she has the burgest... She has the biggest what I call a der face, where you just go what? She her her eyes are raised, her eyebrows are raised. She's biting her half. She, she has half her bottom lip. You know, chew, she's chewing on half of her bottom lip, and it just it's just great because I can actually see the train crashing in her head as she went. Oh crap! <laughs> okay. So it's time for Lois to have the talk with John. Well, not that talk, the other talk. And honestly, I think Lois would rather have that talk than what she knows is coming. And when they're attacked, Lois's last thought is of Clark. It's, Clark, if ever we needed you, it's now. And she's right. There's a guy with a gun pointed at her head, and she's used to that. The guy holding a gun against her son's head? That's probably the most terrifying thing she has ever experienced. 
And once again, I love the twists on the usual lowest in danger trope, because these are hitting me harder than ever before, because I always knew Superman would come in and save Lois Lane. But this, this packs a lot of feels with John, and I'm so glad John Kent was created. Alrighty. So with that epic cliffhanger, let's move on into Act 2. Meanwhile, at the Roosevelt Bridge, which would be closed the next day to begin maintenance work, we meet up with our genius reality show crew of BA Nation and Glenn Bradley. Decked out in a suit of power armor, the aspiring TV actor is told by his producer, Trish Riddick, that they're ready to film, and that all traffic has been blocked by their second unit, so it's okay to start going all rampagey on it. Well, friends, take a guess as to what is about to happen next. Well, if you said everything's a-okay, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Yep. The second unit got stuck in traffic miles away from the bridge and wasn't able to block the road. And also have, you know, the police block the road. Which means they didn't even bother to go over this with, you know, the local authorities. <laughs> so, while Miss Riddick starts counting the dollar signs and thanks from the local politicians for saving them bundles on highly skilled professional road workers, Glenn's starts breaking off large sections of the bridge that plunge into the bay below. And the stunt drivers hired for the show begin driving off the destroyed bridge plunging hundreds of feet into the bay. And, of course, by stunt drivers, I mean completely innocent people who are being murdered by a bunch of idiots who I hope get the electric chair for even coming up with this idea in the first place. And, in fact, it takes a speeding gas tra uh, gas tractor trailer barreling by Miss Riddick and plunging off the now-destroyed now road for her to even notice that things have suddenly gone very wrong. And, sadly, the truck plunges over the side and explodes, instantly killing the driver. The explosion catches Clark's attention. His family is in danger, and this isn't his world after all. But unless you've completely missed the point of this character, see Superman grounded for more details on that, and by seeing it, I mean, what, Bulma? Kill it with fire! Thank you, Bulma. So, that isn't who Clark is. He picks up a plunging vehicle and uses his super breath to cushion the landing of a second car to give him time to put the one he's holding safely on the ground, and then he proceeds to rescue the other vehicle. Oh, and one other thing. He doesn't stop for a two-minute shot for people reaching out for his help. He just does it. Man, that scene bugged me so much. <laughs> After making sure all the innocent civilians are safe, he goes after the cause of this tragedy. No, not Trish Riddick, but Glenn Bradley, a.k.a. Blackrock. Wow, that's an original name. To stop him from causing any more damage. Clark and Blackrock begin, ex ex begin exchanging blows. Miss Riddick calls the station to let them know of the problem they have. And 
I'm sorry, but no, a problem is forgetting batteries for the camera. What you have here is negligent homicide. Well, I hope you get a good lawyer, lady. You're gonna need it. Back at the school's maintenance shed, Lois and John are being tied up, begging for John's life. The goons ignore Lois's pleas and begin to set fire to the building. The goons leave the mother and son to their fate. Inside, Lois tries to comfort John, letting him know that his dad will be coming to help. John is getting frustrated and angry as to how his mother could be so sure of that. And also, why does Superman and Lois Lane look so much like his parents? Why have they been lying to him all this time? What are they lying to him about? With a burst of anger, John snaps his bindings like tissue paper. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, if you couldn't tell, friends, I have a few things with this BA Nation reality show. And I think it's pretty obvious, so I won't go into that. But you know what really amazes me about the show, and this is a positive for this show, is their prop department. I mean, the the power suit they got, they didn't find from you know a dis from a discarded supervillain. No, their prop department built an actual power suit with super strength, energy blasters, and an atomic power core on a TV show budget. I mean, seriously, these guys need hired by the Department of Defense. If if they can make a massive weapon like this on a TV show budget, then what can they do with pretty much a blank check from the U.S. government? Build a Death Star? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay, Glenn, now... I know you're new to show business and all, but when you see cars driving off the bridge you just destroyed and can obviously see them fall and then explode, well, I'm glad you noticed, buddy, but when they explode and you don't see a driver, you know, get out, there's a problem. You may want to stop breaking things. And as Clark's flying back to San Francisco to reach John and Lois, and the explosion catches his attention, he just goes, Oh, no, what now? <laughs> so he's experiencing a little Mr. Incredible problem. No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, <laughs> for a little bit. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for ten minutes? <laughs> I'm sure Clark's getting tired of cleaning up messes, too. Okay, and like I said, I had to keep these two scenes of Clark, Lois, and John separate in the synopsis because they in intermingled, so the tension, when you read this comic, is just ramping up more and more and more, and it's really great. And also, that second vehicle where we see the mo a mother and her little girl in the sinking car, and this is just before Clark reaches it, so it's filling with water, and the mother's pleading with her child to hold her breath, that they're going to have to swim out, and the looks of terror on their face, it it's horrifying. I mean, it's really horrifying. So, again, I hope that the people responsible for this get the electric chair. I mean, they, they still do that, right? That, that, that's still a thing? I hope so. And when Clark barrels into Black Rock to stop the rampage, he delivers the best one-liner for this situation. You're done! 
So there's no witty remarks, a la Spider-Man. This situation has to end now. And back in the shed, we know, I agree, that John has a right to be angry and frustrated and hurt. He wants to know not just what his parents are hiding, but who he is. I mean, he's dealing with his entire world shattering around him right now. When I was his age, the worst thing I ever experienced was losing a cassette of the Star Wars Dark Empire audio drama in my, to my tape player. And that messed me up for a day. John is dealing with quite a bit more. So I know where you're coming from, buddy, and uh, I'm, I feel for you. I really do. And Lois, I know you're trying your best to keep your son calm right now in this crisis. But, honey, the best way to help him is to tell him the truth. To let him know just what is going on, why she can be sure that Clark's going to rescue them, and ev and everything will be alright. But trying to still have a cover story is only making less sense because it's just terrifying John more and more. Alright, and the panel where John snaps his ropes and is standing up, oh, it, it's a beautiful panel, but does anyone else hear the Man of Steel uh, music theme where Clark is, you know, taking off and flying for the first time and he's just smiling? Well, maybe that's just me. But then again, it could also be the John Williams music, that big opening dun 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 where we see Superman for the very first time in costume and he takes off and arches in front of the camera. Oh, Either way, there is a definite soundtrack to this panel, and that's the sure thing. And, oh, I, I loved that little little break, because I could see that, you know, right before commercial break for the final act of the show, and that's what really helped me for our part three here. So let's get into the final act of this issue. At the same time, on the mysterious jungle island, our mysterious federal agent, Mr. Chambers. Hey, you remember him, folks? I didn't. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't seen him for four issues. I forgot he existed. And he's interviewing Hank Henshaw. Doing his best gives impression, and, well, failing miserably, because there is only one Leroy Jethro Gibbs. And tangent amount, please check out um, Crisis on Two Earths. It's a DC animated movie where Mark Harmon, who plays Gibbs, does the voice of Superman, and there's an interrogation scene, and Superman does go all Gibbs on the, uh, I won't say who the prisoner is, but yeah, seeing Superman go Gibbs was awesome. <laughs> okay, so we see that Mr. Chambers is trying to grill Hank over what happened on the Excalibur. He's not buying Hank's story of being concussed, stumbling away from the wreck, and being found in the jungle, after the army has spent several days coming through it with no memory of what has happened to his crew or his wife and how he survived the crash. Chambers is interrupted by the sounds of gunfire and screaming. He starts for the door when a sword suddenly bursts through it. In walks Space Xena, and we finally get a name for her. Hyathus of the planet Allstare. And tangent abound, I'm going to do some research because I think Planet Allstare is where Maxima came from, so if this is a Maxima reference, kudos, Mr. Jurgens, kudos. Tangent over. And 
space in Hyathus is covered in blood, and she demands the Oblivion Stone. Oh, it, it's, a, it's a great one-page splash. Back at the burning shed, Lois is amazed at what John just did. John helps untie his mother, and they make for the door. Lois tries desperately to reach the door handle, but flames are barring her way, and they burn her hands badly. John simply says, Huh, it doesn't feel so hot to me, and reaches his arm out through the flames. As John's hand reaches the door with no signs of any trouble or pain, Lois is shocked to realize that her little man is now her little man of steel. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's a few things here in this um, final act. And I have to admit that Hyathus in full battle armor and doing, well, actually doing something looks pretty B.A. I mean, her armor reminds me almost of an Amazon's and with it covered with droplets of blood and blood dripping off her sword, I can fully believe that this character could go toe-to-toe with either Wonder Woman or Superman. And, oh, I love it. And, <laughs> something I forgot to mention uh, in part two when Trish Riddick calls the studio to say we have a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, Trish Riddick, master of the understatement. <clears throat> All right. And the final page of the issue with John reaching through the fire is great. It's on a seven-panel grid with um, time being broken up between his hand gripping the door, Lois's eyes slowly widening, and she's just going, wait, no, no, that's... This can't... No, this this means... And then when the door handle clicks, Lois can only whisper a shocked, Oh. It's really well done, and it's a great way to end the issue on uh, a great little cliffhanger. So what did I think overall on this issue? Well, if you couldn't tell by the length, there's a lot going on. And it's packed full of Superman goodness. And what's even better is there is no heat vision at all in this issue. Oh, I'm so happy for that because we get to see Clark using his other powers. We see him use his super hearing. We see him use his super breath to cushion uh, the falling car so he can have time to save it without, because he can only hold one car at a time. And, oh, it's just great. In fact, the only thing that's missing is x-ray vision, and you know what? I'm going to no-prize it and say that he used it off-panel to make sure of where Cora and the thugs were in the cabin before he takes them out. So we got to see all of Superman's powers that haven't been used in this issue. Oh, and Lois, your son is just like you. He really takes after his mother. When something doesn't make sense, he keeps digging to find the truth no matter where it takes him. But I know he never expected anything like this. And we see a great parallel. Because Lois started tracking her story down about a simple smuggling operation, which led into this massive inner gang, you know, threat to her family. And we have John following, you know, this question as to what's going on with these goons who attacked us to, I, my dad is Superman? And it's, it's just great. Okay, also, BA Nation, it's got to be a commentary on something about media or maybe even reality shows in general, but I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but there are two things that I want to 
come from this plot. The first one is mass arrests and imprisonment for what these people did, and also that their studio prop department should start working for Argus, because I'm pretty sure they could build something that could wipe out any major threat from an invading space armada with some duct tape and bubblegum. Huh. You know what? I wonder if MacGyver is their, you know, prop master, because <laughs> that sure wouldn't surprise me. I mean, what did they use to power this suit? <laughs> so, yeah, it, they're really smart people. Now, we, and we also get to see all of the Kents in action, and it's just great. We get to see Space Cena actually do something, not just... Okay, where's the Oblivion Stone now? Oh, it's over here. Okay, let's go there. Where's the Oblivion Stone now? Oh, it's over here. Okay, let's go there. It's not here. Where is it? Let's go here. Oh, over and over for four issues. And now she's taking charge and is actually proving to be a threat. So I'm enjoying that quite a bit. Probably most important of all, and my favorite part of this issue, is that John is starting to become the next great DC legacy hero. And that's so great that DC is actually allowing that to happen again. And for the time being, at least, but they're allowing the next generation to come up. And I am so happy with that because I just read, uh, friends, Superman issue six, and John has been formally introduced to the Justice League as Superboy. And I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. I mean, they got the kid just, you know, reached his arm through burning flames without any damage, and so we all know, yes, his Kryptonian side is now starting to come out. And seeing it introduced as Superboy was just... Oh, I am a huge fan of DC Rebirth. And I'm so happy DC is having fun again. And I hope that trend continues. So we see a great cliffhanger and tease to end the issue with Hyathis uh, attacking uh, Hank. We see... Lois's realization of her little boy and what he's about to become and it's just great and I can't wait to get to the to get to next week's episode I really can't so if you have any thoughts about the issue or Superman or you know telling me to shut up <laughs> you can reach me at tangentsabound at gmail.com you can leave a comment on the uh, episode on the Libsyn page okay yeah, it is the Libsyn page. For a while, I kept calling it the Blogspot page, but no, it's it's the Libsyn page. <laughs> and friends, I thank you all for joining me today. I really appreciate um, Bat Batman Death Grapple, who uh, was a first-time commenter for a girl thirty-one for her repeated comments. And personally, if she does, you know, if she sends me comments, you know, I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll happily read them. And if she sends me some stuff that's more family-friendly, I'll be happy to post it on the page. I But I really appreciate uh, her listening. I really am happy, Turtle Loves, that you're still listening, and thanks for coming back. I really appreciate that. Like I said, I'm kind of sorry that Star Wars won't be coming for a while, probably till at least in the next year, but it will be coming. And like I said... There will be a Rogue One episode. I'm not letting that slide by because, man, that that movie is going to be awesome. Just just what I've seen in the trailer. 
So I thank you all for joining me, my friends, this morning. And in case I don't see you, have a good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made on the production or distribution of this podcast. Any and all audio clips used in this podcast are for education and review purposes only. No copyright infringement is intended, and all copyrights are owned by the respective copyright holders. Thank you. Well, first, for my listener from the...